Wolf and Billy. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 374. Jason Lindgren is with me and Lucas, also known as Elsie King, in comments for years now on the site. Uh, I've asked Lucas to come on. He was working with others in the forum and came up with so many brilliant points of views and ideas about everything from the Zodiac to the environment we live in. What we're going to cover today is the idea of a world battery. And the reason I appreciate these ideas is because I've stated for a long time that I'm reasonably as sure as I can be that we're in a hermetically sealed environment. Matter does not come or go from this place from my current point of view. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. An absolutely gorgeous afternoon. All right. Welcome, Lucas. Hi, thanks for having me. So how is it where you are in the world before we jump in? How are things going? Uh, It seems to be a bit of a calm before the storm again. I think they just seem to ramp it up and then pull it back down. You know, it's just a process. But um, yeah, it's not as good as I'd like. Are you in one of the places where the lockdowns are just unimaginable? Yeah, so I'm in Victoria. So yeah, we've been dealing with these um, lockdowns and basically fascism at play. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it almost feels to me like they're playing on the idea of the penal colony history, but let's just set all that aside so we can have a sane conversation today. I don't know what's it been, Lucas. It's been years uh, that you've been in the comments at Crow 777 Radio and work with others and your ideas about the Zodiac got so kind of cutting edge that I think a lot of people didn't want to consider it anymore. But what's it been? It's like two or three years, right? Yeah, maybe even longer than that. I've been working on this, on the Zodiac and trying to understand what's happening. And um, yeah, so it's, it's been a quite a while. And it's been quite a while since I've been playing with the um, the battery idea as well. So you know, a lot of things is, have changed. And yeah. It's been, it's been a, a, a definitely a process. All right. Before we jump in, if I'm not mistaken, you've done work with Ben Balderson, although I understand your points of view are close, but not eye to eye. Yeah, that's right. We just discuss things and um, really have a back and forth about the ideas that are, that are happening. And um, yeah, we enjoy each other's company and, and, and this conversation. So it, it's been really good. Yeah, as it should be. Um, I don't. I can't keep up on the comments like I used to. There's thousands on the site, but whenever I saw those posts, I would try to get through there and catch up as I could. So let's get into it. Uh, how did you come across the idea of a world battery or the world battery concept? Uh, in your notes, you cite kinesiology and, of course, the zodiac astrology. Yeah, well, that's right. It was it was sort of an accident, actually. What I was doing was studying kinesiology and then learning about the zodiac at the same time and i was learning about the 12 meridian system so the chinese meridian system and um then i was looking at the zodiac itself and i just noticed that the you know the two two systems were very similar and i was trying to integrate them so i spent a lot of time doing that and then trying to understand um more on the astrology side i actually got a little bit frustrated with the astrology how they came to their points of view there uh, i was like how did you come to the the idea that mars is this quality or um venus is this quality and it, it just became a little bit frustrating so after a little while I, I basically sort of blanked my mind and really just sat down with the zodiac itself and said you know just you know 
talk to me, you know what I mean? Like um, express yourself to me. And that's when I started to ask questions just about the layout of it. And when I looked at the layout of the Zodiac um, and the four uh, elements and their reoccurring, what I noticed was that there was um, a similarity to the Zodiac and its layout with the four elements. And um, the alternator windings of a three-phase alternator. And so when I looked at this alternator windings and, and how they wind the, the electrics in a generator, basically, that were the same. And the, the actual three-phase alternator coil was called a star coil. And so this sort of set me off to go, um, well, there's something here that it's, that it's very similar and it's electrical. So then basically I started to, you know, ask more questions on like in this electrical sort of mindset, you know, what, what is this about? And so I looked at the planets and I was like, right, well, why are they metals for one? And why are they in that order? And so basically what I did was I done a Google search and, and looked up why the metals, what order are these metals in? And that's when I started come across the um, the galvanic series, as it's called, or electropotential series. So, yeah, that was basically the, the planet in the zodiac was a, an order of um, most anodic to most cathodic. So this was how these metals would operate um, in a galvanic cell. So, that, yeah, that was the, the basic sort of the Zodiac was showing a galvanic series and that led me to the battery then. So I don't even know how to lay this out. So the average person um, can think about what we're about to get into. I'm not mechanical enough to follow you guys through the cathode and the anode. I mean, I get the concept, but hands-on I'm not much of a mechanical kind of guy, but what I realized is you asked the questions I did. How, how in the heck do we get this Zodiac? There was a point when I wasn't accepting any of it. And then I finally realized, okay, I can path it from 10 signs to 12 signs. The explanation for the extra signs, splitting one into three around the fall equinox, I can accept these things and I can find references. I did the same thing you is why is Mars warlike? And so what I did is I went back to Greek myth. And I tried to find references of what does Mars mean? How is it being used? And I, like you, have serious questions. Are the borders on these constellations correct? Or has someone shuffled them around? And there's all these questions we've got to work through. But at the end of the day, maybe a person could think like this. Why do we have gold, silver, mercury, copper, iron, tin, and lead? Why aren't there a litany of other things? And there are, um, but those are supposed to be associated with so-called planets like aluminum. Um, Point is, is all this relates to everything. In other words, if we can figure out why the sun is paired with gold, why the moon is paired with silver, and relate it to exactly what you're getting into, the idea of anodes and cathodes, and then understand the transmutation, how supposedly when you're transmuting, the last metal you'll be is silver before you get to gold. And so you're talking about the order. The point is, is this is the key to everything, isn't it? And I noticed you use electricity. From my point of view, electricity is the only force here in this place. Um, and I don't know if I help describe that to, to people so they can try to follow along why it's important but you're going to go far beyond what I can do with battery tech and the idea of anodes and cathodes. Yeah. So 
we can just explain electrochemistry and and that's the basic science behind all this and really where does it come from and it's for me now understanding a little bit more about electrochemistry it's basically found in all of nature you know it's part of the body's nervous system it's part of the biological cell um, it seems to be a modus operandi of nature itself so you know that that's a very important co- uh, component of this is it's it's not just a battery on its own it's it's really the electrochemistry and that's found throughout all of nature do you want to take a moment to address the idea of so-called planets and metals i mean maybe we should use another word besides planets i use it because people know um, know what it's supposed to mean, but I don't accept uh, the description for a second. Uh, matter of fact, I don't accept that we could get to them. And I don't accept that even if there was possibly a way to get near what we call a planet, that we would be tuned properly. We're tuned to this place, the place we call planet Earth, which appears to be very different than the planets we can observe, by the way. Do you want to take a minute to talk about the planetary metals or yep. do you want to make the assumption most most people get it? Go ahead. So the planetary metal designations, so the sun would, is gold, the moon is silver, Mercury is mercury, uh, Venus is copper, um, Mars is iron, and Jupiter is tin, and Saturn is lead. So that's actually a series, like I was saying before, it's actually a series. So gold is the most noble of the metals. It's going to act as a positive terminal in a battery. Um, against all those other metals, whereas lead will act as the anode or the negative terminal in the in the batteries against all the the rest of the metals. Which we should point out, Lucas, on the zodiac, those two are opposites, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's right. They're they're, they're basically um, polar opposites in in the way they act in a battery as well. So one's going to act as the positive terminal. One's going to act as the negative terminal. So yeah, once once I had basically um, found this listing, then it led me to the battery. And then I was like, okay, so how is a battery constructed? Um, and it, I found the galvanic cell was the, the basic um, battery that there is. Now, the galvanic cell is, um, was, is named after Luigi Galvani, and it's also, there's another one which is the, it's also called the um, voltaic cell, and that's after Volta. Uh, I've also found information that this go the battery actually goes back a lot further before these two guys, which you, you also have the Baghdad battery, but you also have um, Sanskrit writings which talk about how to build a battery and also um, how to do electrolysis with batteries. So. I think it's a lot older than what we're told about it. If you're going to describe the most basic battery, can you just let people know what the most basic, that would be called galvanic, wouldn't it? The most basic battery? Yep. So when I was looking at the battery, um, I could see it had four main components. So it has a cathode, which is your positive terminal. It has an anode, which has is your negative terminal. And then it has an electrolyte, which is basically salt water. And then it has a salt bridge. And the salt bridge connects 
the electrolytes together. So these are the, the four components that are, that are part of the, the galvanic battery. And when I was looking at this, I was actually on a cruise ship with my coming back from a holiday with my wife. And, you know, we we're sitting surrounded by water. And then I saw that, you know, I was like dealing with these four elements. And then, uh, you know, sitting on the ocean, I'm like, hey, there's a, there's a correlation here between the, the salt water and the, the electrolyte of the battery. And so that's where it started to me placing these elements and the battery together, as well as looking at the zodiac. And that's where the, the sort of, ideas started to stem from. And so when I did that, um, what, what actually happened was the cathode, it produces hydrogen. So it became the fire element. The anode, uh, it produces oxygen. So it became the air element. The electrolyte, which was became the water element. And then the salt bridge became the earth. And so this basic structure of the battery started to fit in with the four elements and also the place that we live. So in, in the most basic battery, you've described an anode and a cathode. By the way, I, I want to ask you at some point, do you see the irony in the Catholic church using that <laughs> prefix? Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But so we're talking, when we say an anode and a cathode, we're basically talking about two different kinds of metals, right? And that relates back to how you just described the sun as gold. But I wanted to ask if two different metals, one of them is positive or negative, negative, anode or cathode. Um, could say the sun ever become negative? Could the, the, the metal, which we call gold ever be neg negative or will it always be positive? Am I saying that wrong? Maybe could it ever, could the, could the cathode, if the cathode was gold, could it ever become the anode? Uh, no, not, not if you're looking at it from the galvanic um, series, it would always be the cathode and it's the most cathodic of the whole system. So basically what that means is that all the other planets would respond to the, to the sun. Um, so the sun is like that end result, the accumulator. In a way, it, it kind of proves the order of the metals. Could I make silver? So if I had gold and silver, gold would be the positive cathode and silver would be the negative anode. Could I shift down and make silver the positive cathode and another lesser metal become the negative? Yep. Yeah, you can do that. And that's um, it gets into the energetics of, say, looking at the zodiac as an energetic uh, calculator in that sense. It's basically, yeah, they, they could respond to each other and, and those those metals of say of um, Jupiter and Saturn or uh, tin and lead could become a battery on their own. And, and that's how you can have multiple different batteries and it's all sort of working towards that singular point, which would be the cathode, the sun. Nature has no lie. I'll ask this question. Isn't this an absolute noble benchmark that first of all, the idea of ordering the metals um, I guess maybe it doesn't prove moon, sun, you know, the supposed planetary ideas, but that could be worked out. Doesn't it prove beyond doubt that the ordering of metals is correct? And furthermore, if I'm working this out, doesn't it prove the order they would have to go in? Because if you were going to use, say, copper, um, there's only a certain number of lesser metals. So doesn't it actually prove that whole kind of 
schematic idea of the ordering of metals? Yeah, I think so. I think it does. I think it um, really starts to show something. And I, I think the reason why they're those specific metals is for specific reasons. And, you know, um, especially when you look at the gold and silver, um, you look at the qualities of those metals, it starts to really paint a picture of um, why they chose those metals in particular for the, the moon and the sun. So on a philosophical mindset, to me, this also proves that transmutation is a fact and that the ultimate transmutation would be to gold, which basically means gold is, is holding the sum total of every, I don't even know what to call them, lesser metal, right? And if I step down to silver, then it would not have gold, but it would have every lesser metal. If I step down again, um, these, these things begin to be proven out, don't they? Yeah, I think there's definitely transmutation occurring um and like you said we're in a hermetically sealed environment and so it's really just a circulating of energy and then transmutation that creates everything in my view so if you were using batteries which i know very little about could you use mercury and the reason i'm asking the question is because in my mind there's some very peculiar things about some of the metals like gold it's above all the others lead it's below all the others both are very heavy but in the middle there somewhere we have mercury the messenger and we've had so many people coming on taking the alchemical that it really is the messenger could you use mercury in a battery to get proofs from nature that are undisputable yeah well you can use um, mercury um, mercury is one of those things that just kept popping up because i was as you're looking at the zodiac and as you're looking at alchemical works and and seeing this um, electrochemistry at play, definitely mercury starts to to crop up everywhere. And there's just a huge mythology behind it all. Um, but if you look at the metal itself, it just has some um, amazing qualities to it. Uh, it's able to uh, rectify um, electricity. It's able to amalgamate the metals. Um, yeah, so it, it's just got some really fascinating sort of qualities to it. But it's also, if you look at it as in it's a medium that, of transfer, so it is the communication between the positive and negative. It is like the uh, neutral point in the, in the system in a sense. Or if you're looking applying it to the body itself, it would be like the spine. You know, so you've got the right hand, left hand, which would be a positive and negative. And then that mercury point would be the spine, would be that um, mirroring part of the, of the trinity in a sense. So the trinity, if I was going to blow out the idea in the way that I'm thinking about it, in one of your notes here, you describe a battery as a common apparatus generally consisting of two different metals, each immersed in separate beakers containing respective metal ions or different metals in solution that are connected by wait for it a salt bridge so if i'm going to take the philosophical principles that surround the ideas of alchemy i'm going to be thinking about soul spirit and body uh in the experience that i have very limited very diaper wearing alchemical abilities still trying to learn uh the salt is almost always the body and in these batteries i mean wouldn't it be equivalent to the body being the bridge between two other elements and so if i've determined that's correct doesn't one have to be a bit like soul and one like spirit or am i off base here yeah well that's how it's um sort of depicted in the alchemical works where you have the the salts and the sulfur and one's sort of designated to the 
they're the, they're the two main elements that one's one's fixed one's volatile uh they're, they're polarities in a sense and that and then you have the bridge between them and so yeah that's where that trinity really comes into play and that mercury is that uh ionic bridge between these pi- polarities so yeah definitely there's um the correlation between the battery and spiritual concepts is one-to-one and it's just been such a such a fascinating sort of uh concept to get in to find these correlations like that so basically this is the key to everything is the idea behind all this old alchemy and the spagyrics and everything else um after all if we're going to talk about philosophical spirit soul and body uh, we've used the example so many times when you walk into the liquor store all those bottles say spirit and it actually is um, the spirit of plants. That's why they're calling it spirits. You can take it further in, into the spiritual realm, the idea of spirits in a bottle of liquor. Um, but the truth is, is that's almost always ethyl or methyl alcohol derived from a plant. So basically from a battery to a, you know, a religious or a spiritual following principle to how does this place work? It's all the same thing, just applied in a different arena, right? In other words, nature is proving these things are true or they are not. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's there's other things at, at play in our world as well. So, you know, even if you look at the other batteries and everything's really based on this idea of polarity, especially when you're looking at the sun and the moon. So, you know, the other battery that I was looking at was called a thermogalvanic cell. And this is basically a, a battery that's based off uh, temperature. So the anode will be cold, the, the cathode will be hot. So in this case, the, the moon is cold, the sun is hot. And as soon as you have those two differences in temperature, you start getting an electrical transfer. And so, you know, this is not just one battery, it's, it's actually multiple batteries overlaid onto the system. And, that's, uh, and it's really this underlying principle is that Trinity concept of you know, the polarity plus that connection between them. So do you suppose, I'll pull us off the rail just for a second and we'll jump back. Do you suppose that, you know, since we know words have meaning, you have the Catholic church, which is like cathode, and you have a cathedral. Um, Do you suppose that there's actually the principles that you're trying to discover and work out and prove factually? Are those ideas built right into something like a cathedral? Yeah, well, it definitely seems like there's something to it. I don't exactly know how, um, uh, why they designated like that. You know, whether it was part of this idea of the the sun, and did they have a you know a schooling system for the moon side of things as well? I don't know. So yeah, it's it's definitely I've made that connection before, and it's fascinating to see where that could actually lead. That's for sure. I'll take a stab at it. So in the same way, you're physically making a battery to generate some kind of energy. If in the same way, I told you we were talking about a battery spirit in the same way we could talk about spiritual spirit, or we could go to a liquor store and find the spirit of plants. What I suspect is going on here is you've got an energy generator in the spiritual realm, which is why the cathedral is actually truly the cathode and probably why the Catholic church uh, chose those names in the first place, but let's get back on the rails here. Um, what is electrochemistry? Uh, so it's 
it's basically this principle of either using electricity to create chemical processes or the vice versa. So it's using chemical processes to create electricity as in the battery. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. So, yeah. Which, you know, if, if you look back through an actual history that you can observe, uh, you will discover that modern chemistry stands on the shoulders of spagyrics or the alchemy of the plant kingdom. And what's interesting about these ideas you're putting forward is provably, if there, if there truly is one force, it's electricity. And if the batteries go back, which I accept like you do, they go back way before any modern Italian name got put on it. Then what you're looking at is how would you say it? Not recipes, but directions on how to create things, but never is electricity introduced. It's almost like, put it this way. If they knew all this stuff was true, then they could make electricity in the same way they could make any spagyric tincture. Yet when we go back through all the spagyrics, I don't recall ever seeing electricity of any kind applied to it. Don't you think that's interesting? Almost like it's been scrubbed. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And and it's, it's interesting too, because alchemy, if you break the word down, it's got the L, which is L, and that's you know a, a derivative of electricity and then chemistry. So even in the name itself, it's sort of pointing to electrochemistry. So just going back to world distillation or this, this concept that I come up with, distillation process, which is part of the alchemical process, I actually started to apply this to the world and saying, well, you have a thermogalvanic cell, which is based on temperature differentials, and you've got the sun moving around over the oceans. And you know what's it actually doing? It's it's lifting up and heating up the waters and creating that spiritual essence or the spirits coming out of those waters. And then you have the moon that's doing the opposite polarity, which would be cooling and condensing. So our our world is working similar to those um, distillation processes that um, we see so often mentioned in alchemy. And so you get this pumping effect. So one's heating, one's condensing, and that's how you actually create this, what I call a atmospheric electrolyte or the this uh, gaseous ocean above us. And that's the main portion of how these um, these metals or sun and moon are actually starting to communicate and have have that uh, electrochemical process because they're not actually you know like the galvanic cell the metals aren't in the oceans you know they're they're up in the in the sky. Well, what's interesting too is if you took the supposed layout of this realm, uh, there's a salt bridge between everything, right? The, the the most water we can identify is salt water. And I don't think that should be lost on anyone or almost to the point where you've got to imagine if there's so much salt water, how do we ever really get fresh water? But the idea of distillation, like you said, uh, it'll, it'll burn off. It'll go up into the atmosphere. It'll rain down back again. It's like this battery that never needs another charge, which at some point I'm going to ask you if this place is a battery, it never needs any recharging. It just keeps going. So doesn't that imply that we should be able to make a battery that just does what the world does? Sort of, um, because it's, you know, I believe it's in an enclosed system. So it's like a battery you, you wouldn't be able to get any energy out of in a sense that there's 
the operation, it is feeding itself, like you say, and it's working on itself, but you're not actually pulling energy out like you would, say, starting a car with the battery. You're actually pulling energy out of the, out of the, the battery itself. So the energy is just circulating, and this is where you have um, two principles at play. You don't, don't just have the, the battery itself, but you also have electrolysis at play. And so with these two the principles, you have multiple sort of transmutations occurring and, um, yeah, things, things get very interesting when you, when you put it in this enclosed system. So I asked that question for the simple reason that, um, you, you, you know, we've already kind of, I have stated matters, not come and going. We're hermetically sealed here. There's no space rocks coming in. There's no bodies or spaceships going out. Um, that's what I currently accept, but. If you look at all the old woodcuts from masonry and other place, there's always this energy or light source outside of the picture coming in to power up the sun and the moon. And there is plenty of old material that I've bumped into that makes the claim that our sun is connected to a central sun and that that central sun powers all other sun-like experiences. Um, so the reason I bring it up is because if this was an enclosed system and everything that's here is here, there's a magic going on where nothing ever needs to be recharged. But as I just pointed out, there are old traditions that claim that our sun is attached or being energized or however you would put it to some central sun, which is the idea of the ultimate creator. Um, I just thought I'd throw it in there in case people have read similar things. Yeah. Well, that central sun is, um, similar to the idea of Mercury, this hidden force that is behind everything, this the polaris, if you like, that everything that moves around is is governed by this this hidden uh, energy in a sense. So yeah. So let's let's break down. We kind of touched on it, the four elements, but let's be very literal. Um, can you show how the elements as if in a battery are applied in the world around us using the cathode anode? anode idea and and the so-called heavenly bodies so yeah basically there's we've well, we've laid out the the four elements and how they relate to the battery and then you know their operation as in the thermogalvanic cell as well where they you know the hot and the cold um so as they're moving over they're lifting up these the the salts um which would be your sodium chlorides and the other one would be potassium nitrates and then you'll have the sulfurs as well. Um, so those, those are the necessary chemicals um, that actually allow for the battery to operate. And so there's a lifting up of these gases, and I called that a um, high atmospheric sort of electrolyte. And then, and then the process basically, um, you know, that's how you get your battery process happening. But... Uh, yeah. So the other, the main thing, if they are metals, um, I know people will be asking this is like, well, you know, how do they levitate? You know, if, if that's the case, how do they get there and that sort of thing? And so that was a big question for me too. And I didn't really take what I was looking at um, seriously until I started to, uh, I came across an article in a um, magazine called The Electrical Experimenter, and this was released in uh, the 1920s. The article was um, called Overcoming Gravitation by um, George S. Piggott, 
And what he was doing was levitating metal balls in a high voltage um, electric field. And so when I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. So um, you can just levitate these metal balls and the, the way he was, he was actually in the heliocentric model and he was trying to work out how to, um, you know, send interplanetary uh, communications. But, you know, I didn't mind about that. It was, it was more that he was able to levitate metal balls in a high voltage charge. And then uh, the other interesting thing he did is heated up one of those metal balls and it would actually um, change its orientation in the electric field. So this was, you know, a correlation to the sun. And so that's when the, the model started to become a little bit more serious because um, now I could see, okay, they could be metals and part of the battery system and now i could see that they could uh actually you know be levitated just by voltage alone so in that idea uh, it's almost like volume or what we would call weight or mass doesn't even matter anymore right because it all becomes part of what are we going to call this a system um it's a component in the workings of the natural world uh like if I followed and other things I've seen, it wouldn't matter if the cannonball that you're going to levitate weighed 10 pounds or 10 tons, right? No, it'd be based on the, yeah, the, the amount of electric charge that is actually there. So um, if you have enough electric charge, yep, you can levitate it. It's no worries. Almost like, okay, I said that wrong, like a tank of gas. So I've got a gallon of gas. I can go this many miles. But as long as I've got enough gas, I can go endless numbers of miles. Maybe that's a better way to put it because there has to be a correlation between the so-called mass or whatever would properly be said and the amount of energy being applied to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I'll make a correction because I didn't think about this properly. As I see you break it down, uh, you, you say the cathode is the sun, the anode is the moon, but I had it backwards. I was thinking the salt water in the ocean would be the salt bridge, but you have the electrolyte is the ocean and upper atmosphere. The salt bridge is actually earth. So I was thinking about that backwards, if you are correct here. Yeah, that's right. So the salt bridge is a connecting, um, when you, when you have it in a galvanic cell, you basically have two uh, beakers and then you'll have this little U shape that goes into each beaker. And that's a um, that's the salt bridge, and that's usually filled with potassium nitrate or even sodium chloride. So, yeah, that's that's the uh, it's an ionic bridge, and it allows for this uh, the positive and negative to actually come together and and sort of ground out. And so, there's a correlation between our Earth and this um, grounding of the salt bridge. So, the, uh, there's also seems to be waters flowing through our our earth too, as in the aquifers. And then you also have a transfer of, um, you know, positive and negative ions and even to do with magma and things like that underneath the, the earth there. So there's, there's these correlations too. All right. Well, let's describe how the components, uh, the components of a cell or a battery are put together. Um, and in it, we can illustrate, let's not use, um, sun as cathode or gold as cathode and silver or moon as anode. Let's use some other metals or maybe just describe putting together the most basic galvanic system that fits the, you know, the, the schematic that you're using here so people can understand it. Also, the reason I'm saying that 
is because one of those two things is going to be positive in polarity and the other is negative. So can you just describe making the most basic system here? So what you would do if you're going to make a basic galvanic cell is get two beakers with um, the electrolytes, which are your salt waters. Then you would have that little U shape that connects them, the bridge between them, which is the salt bridge. And then you would have two different types of metals in each of those beakers. And wait, wait a minute. What's the salt bridge made out of? What's the piece of matter made out of that goes from one beaker to the other? Uh, usually they'll, they'll have a, um, like a little tube or something, or even some cloth, and that'll be soaked in as basically a, a salt. Um, you can have it as sodium chloride or potassium nitrate. So as long as it's this, um, yeah, salt. As long as it's well saturated in, in the so-called salt, it's not going to be like a piece of copper or something. No, no, no. no okay. That's where you, yeah, that's right. And then it's and then you got the positive and negative terminal, and one's going to act as the anode, one's going to act as the, the cathode. So what that basically means is uh, there's a direction of energy movement. So it, the energy goes from uh, anode to cathode. So in in relating this to the world, um, it would be from moon to sun. That would be the direction of energy. So the sun being the highest, that would be the positive polarity. But again, let's do it without gold and, and silver. I guess you could still use sun and moon as the example, but let's say one of those two things is copper. Does it work? What it, Would copper be the anode or the cathode if you used copper? So a lot of them are depicted with copper and zinc. Um, so copper would be the cathode and zinc would be the anode. Yep. Is there any situation where you can get below zinc? Could zinc ever become the cathode or positive? Is there something below zinc that could become the anode? Yeah, I think uh, lead would be. Uh, there would be a, a few different metals that would be below that. Yep. I was going to point out that means lead's the bottom, right? <laughs> you, you can't ever make lead the, the cathode or positive? You probably could with other substances, but um, yeah, it just it depends on, say, the, the purity of the metal as well. It um, depends on how you're actually setting up the thing. So there are a few different listings out there of these electro potentials, this, this um, galvanic series, but it just depends on, on the setup that you're using. So now just to draw the picture before we move on, you've been told your whole life about the orbiting planet model where the sun's in the middle of everything and earth is spinning. Everyone's familiar with it. Regardless of whether you accept that to be true, um, there's a ranking there, right? We're the third rock from the sun, supposedly earth in that model. Then you would go out to Mars. Then you, you know, there's, there's a ranking. And so you think about in that model, the size of the orbit is ranking um, the planets. So I just asked all those questions so you could understand the relationship. If the sun is gold, the moon is silver, mercury is mercury, copper is Venus, iron is Mars, tin is Jupiter, and lead is Saturn. And by the, by the way, there's a couple more so-called heavenly bodies that would get associated. You can see how the correlation of these metals and the planetary idea is the working model for everything, or that's that's the claim. Did I drop something there, Lucas? Are the luminaries in a particular order with what they're associating symbologically with the metals? Like, is it almost telling you that this needs to be in a specific order to accomplish a specific thing? Yes. The, yes, the planetary yeah, exactly. models, yeah. 
it's it's a direction of energy movement from anode to cathode. So from the the lead, then it would move up the scale till the final point would be the accumulator, which would be the sun. And you know, it's like all those lower metals in lower and no nobility are actually feeding into the sun. And actually, if you think about it that way, that that one particular metal gold contains all the potentials for every other metal, right? Mm. If transmutation is true, uh, in other words, let's think about it this way. Well, here I live in this place we call earth and I know there's copper. I've seen it. I know there's tin. How did it get here? Right. And so the philosophical principle, at least at the level that I understand in alchemy, which is not very high, to be fair, I'm not telling you what I'm telling you right now is absolutely God's honest truth. It's what I think is the direction I'm traveling in. The idea is if you transmuted metal into metal into metal, it would go up in the same way that one has to be cathode and anode. The anode would be the negative or lesser, and it would transmute up. And then eventually you you get to silver and you have to get to silver. To transmute any other things into gold, you have to go through silver, which I've read. And again, I might not know enough to understand all I'm reading, but then at the end, everything's transmuted up into gold and the potentiality for every other metal must be in the gold at that point. That's my reasoning anyhow. Are they consistent across cultures? Because alchemy did go from one culture to the next and seem to have the same principles? What I've found consistent is the idea of the Trinity and how that applies over across cultures. And that was the main thing. Um, looking at alchemy, there's really, I only went into the battery from the, the, the Zodiac. So I didn't sort of look too hard into the rest of it. I was, I was busy trying to work out what they were talking about with this um, galvanic cell and how to apply it to the world. Well, what I've noticed too is when it's nuts and bolts, like here's directions on how to do a thing in alchemy, quite often they're not going to say gold, they're not going to say Jupiter, they're not, you know, there's going to be a symbol and there's a whole array of symbols. So to ask, answer Jason's question, I think nature would demand that it would have to be done in the right way. If it's not done in the right way, it's not going to work. Therefore, nature is proof. Yes, you did it correctly at work, or no, you did not, but you see the symbol in the directions could be any number of things. And that's where it gets confusing. In other words, if I was in Africa and an alchemist back in the day may have a very different symbol for the idea of Jupiter than somewhere in Europe, if you followed that. At the end of the day, there has to be an order that nature proves is correct. So it doesn't matter what a human being does. If they change it, it doesn't matter because nature will dictate whether it's correct or not by the outcome. Yeah, and so when you're looking at you know the the sun as the cathode and as gold, there's there's really specific reasons um, why that, that they chose these metals as well, or why they think that they these planets or the the sun and the moon were actually designated as gold and silver. Um, you know, it's least reactive of the metals. It's resistant to acids. Um, it has a this it's a really good conductor um it's a reflector of heat and it has all these qualities to it that actually suits it for the purpose that it had for for the world galvanic cell in a sense because it uh there's basically when you're looking at the chemical components and what's what's actually happening when you're looking at the 
the oceans and, you know, what would be coming off. You've got the chlorines, then you've got, um, you know, your sulfates and then you've got your, um, the hydrogen that would be produced at the cathode. Well, when you start to mix those few elements together, you get what's known as hydrochloric acid. And then on the moon side, you would have the nitrates and basically nitric acid. And then when you get the, the communication between those two, which would be the nitric acid and the hydrochloric acid, what ends up happening is you create what's called aqua regia. And people that have studied a little bit of alchemy will know that that, that is the substance that starts to break down gold. And that's exactly what's needed for a galvanic cell is that there's got to be this uh, interaction with the metals to create that energy, that electrochemical um, product. So there's a, there's a very good reason why that they say that the, the sun is gold and the moon is silver. Aqua regia, is that what you said? So it's R-G-I-A is the idea of what would that be? Royal water, something like Royal that? Royal water. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, there's a whole bunch of stuff underneath all that, just um, the, the alchemy and, and why they designated these things like they did um, because of, you know, the products that would be actually created via the, the world operation in a sense. This is why the idea of astrology, which has been so kind of retarded, minimized, uh, become this backwards thing uh, by intention, but it's why it's so important. There's the whole idea why we had a problem. We had astronomy and astrology, but you see that the real astrology is actually part of the keys to be doing all the stuff that Lucas is talking about. There was a day, apparently, when the Zodiac was all laid out. Each sign was a part of a body. Each was ruled by a planet. A planet had a metal. A sign had a color. In other words, the entirety of what we call the natural world had been associated in. These things are fixed. These things are mutable. These things are changeable, you know, and on and on it goes, or they're neutral. And so there was a whole, apparently, system that keyed. And while you could do exactly what Lucas is doing. I'm looking at a battery here. Then it could turn around and be applied to the human body, or you could make alcohol or, you know, it goes on and on and on, but the rules didn't change only the way you were applying them. If I said that right, did I say that right, Lucas? You sure did. And that, and that's what I've been sort of seeing that the, if you have these fundamental principles, the four elements, and you relate them to the battery operation and what's happening, and then you can take that and you can move it to uh, whatever you're looking at. And it's the same principle with the Trinity. You can take that sort of overarching understanding of the Trinity and then apply it. Um, and so that's, that's exactly right. And that's, um, that's something that's been really profound about the whole learning this stuff is, is basically going, oh, well, I can apply this to health. I can apply this to um, my garden. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's it's been um, the other thing that was that's been really interesting for me is that science starts to match up with spirituality, and I've always sort of thought that they're not different. You know, if you have correct science and you have this, you know, like the hermetic principles and all that sort of stuff come into play, then it should help you spiritually. And so what they've really done with corrupting our science is corrupt our spirituality at the same time. So 
learning about this stuff in in the way that I have has has really helped me put understand where they got these um, spiritual com- understandings as well. Just it's, so, for example, the Trinity is is a very sort of spiritual sort of idea today. But when you look at it in an energy format, it makes perfect sense as well. It's like well, you have you know, imagine a rubber band between your two hands. You basically got one one's pulling one way, one's pulling the other way. So there's your two polarities. And then you've got that bridge, the rubber band between it. And that's where the energy comes from. So you've got the masculine, the feminine, and then that that child, which is produced from those the mother and father that is is the the thing between them that holds them together, that gives them energy. So these principles really start to uh, manifest in in lots of different ways how you view things. So it's it's great. So you said a critically important thing about science and spiritualism, and you see, science didn't just pervert it; it perverted us because we started to follow a perverted path. It's almost like, and I'm going to try to do a description here, Lucas. The natural world provides laws. What's an example I could use? Okay, an example I could use is the spirit of a plant is. With very few exceptions, there are a couple things that they call plants that are different. Its spirit will be uh, a certain kind of alcohol, ethyl or methyl alcohol. Once you've done that and you know every time you do it, that's the result. To me, that becomes a law. It's no longer arguable. The spirit of all plants that use chlorophyll in this way will produce a spirit, and that spirit is alcohol. So all forms of nature will show these, what I would call laws. It's not arguable anymore. I see the color purple that is caused by a vibration within this range. This range of vibration makes purple. Um, when we get back to these things, science becomes almost like a operating method within these laws. But what's happened is science doesn't give a damn about the laws anymore. And it just comes up with theories. And theory, literally, if you go back to an old dictionary that's old enough and accurate enough, 40s, 50s, it'll tell you theory is a speculation, which is why I made Crow's second law. That means that every year that passes on a new theory, that theory is less valuable with every passing day. And at some point, which you could arbitrarily mark, okay, this has been a theory for five years. This crap is not valuable anymore. It needs to be thrown out and we need to come around because laws are really what matter. And that is proven by things like the law of thermodynamics. All these things we can make that we need in this world are relying on the solid law that we call thermodynamics. So how's that description, Lucas, um, of the idea of nature provides laws and science would, should just be a way to navigate within those laws? Well, that's right. We should we should be looking at um, you know what actually works, right? And we know that a battery works. It, we use it every day. It has the the same principles in it. Um, you can make multiple forms of the battery, but the same principles apply. And so, at the at the very foundation, when we apply it, uh, we know that the principles are there, and they they're going to repeat themselves. And that's what I've found. So you know fascinating about the work is that at the end of the day i'm basing something on something that actually operates it's not a not a theory we use it all the time so yeah that was well said crow 
yeah, it's a universal truth. But we got to wrap up hour one here, Lucas. Um, this will go out to everybody in the world. Do you want to give out contact information? And by the way, if you do it in hour one, it can be overwhelming. Yeah, I can just head people over to my YouTube channel, which is LC King. Um, I'm also on Rockfin now, so um, they can check me out there. Uh, yeah, I don't really have an email or anything like that. So, are you currently? I know you departed uh, from from comments on my site for a while. Are you back there now? Not at the moment, but I can join in. Yeah. No, go ahead and send me an email as a guest. I'll, I'll give you a membership to make sure you're there. So everybody listening, these are important, important things to me. And it's hard for a lot of people to follow, I think, because when my mind finally put together that this is everything, there's no damn thing in existence I could think about doing or considering that this doesn't apply to. There is a reason the sun is gold. There is, you know, everything has a reason. There's a reason there's a trinity. As a matter of fact, geometry proves the importance of a trinity. If I have a point, I have a point. If I draw another point, I can have a line. But at no time can I begin to build anything of structural material until I have the trinity. When I get to that third point, now I have a triangle. Or if I was building a stool, now I have a stool that will stand on its own with some level of stability. Nature proves what is true. And that is the underlying reason all this matters. We forgot our way. We forgot the laws that we should have never lost. And that has led us to, we don't even know where the hell we are. We don't have a description of this place. We don't know much of anything right now, but it's coming back around. That'll bring hour one of 374 to a close. I hope you'll join us on the other side at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. We're going to get into a lot more. There it is, man. I'd like to wish everybody a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
the enemies of knowing. Come on.